0: Welcome to the Think Bold, Be Bold podcast. Chris and Alan will be sharing unique and raw insight on what it takes to succeed. Both hosts are authors and businessmen and have been mentoring and consulting
1: for their clients for over 50 years with their combined knowledge. So without further ado, we have an exciting show for you today. Let's get started.
2: Hi, it's Christopher Cumbie with Think Bold, Be Bold, and I'm here with my awesome co-host, Alan which Alan how are you today
1: I'm doing fantastic Chris having a great day thanks for asking how about yourself
2: yeah I'm doing really well in fact I'm pretty uh, excited and I use that word a lot but you know this show excites me what can I say <clears throat> when we have athletes on the show I can totally relate you know I know what it takes I don't know what it takes to get to the Olympics and when I introduce uh, the uh, Gentleman today that uh, so graciously said yes to come on our show share his uh, you know, his, uh, where he where he went um, specifically in the Olympics and, and where he's going and, and you know to use his words evolving and what he's up to and where he's going uh, with some of the uh, dreams aspirations and things that he's helping others with right now and um, you know let's just talk about that for a second Alan you know what is it, what does it really take to be an athlete at that level in the game you know alan we've had several from you know the nfl to uh, some olympians as well uh-huh. uh, we've had a ufc uh you know fighter on the show and i just love the shows because you know you really dive deep on that mental part because it takes one thing to be physical but and we'll find out from uh, today's guest as well on that mental uh, aspect of the game but you know, what's your thoughts on, on on the whole athletic piece?
1: Well, mental strategy is, I think, probably one of the, the key elements in progressing in any way, shape, or form. And I think the athletes, uh, regardless as to maybe what level they've reached, already have an intrinsic uh concept of what that really means and applying that to other parts of your life just seems to be a natural a natural segue and it's been a a real privilege to be able to uh... uh... listen to and uh... you know chat with and and maybe work alongside some of these athletes you know, I never had that uh, with you know my heart condition. I was never an athlete. Uh, very admirable or ad- very much admired all the athletes. Um, some real special to me and then especially all those that are being on the show. I'm learning a tremendous amount. But I think... What all the athletes have in common is that mental toughness, that mental strategy that gets them from point A to point B and then translate to, uh, translates to whatever it is that they end up doing, whether it be in something in business, something in family, something in mentorship, uh, something with youth, whatever the case may be. At least that's the commonality that I end up seeing. Yeah, for sure,
2: and you know, let's get right into it because sure. uh, we have our let's guest. Bring him in. Yeah, we have our guest here, and uh, he was uh, part of the 2008 Olympics. In fact, he won a bronze medal uh, with the U.S. rowing team. Uh, you know, we've got uh, he he currently resides in Boston, and you know, he's such a. What I found, you know, from from speaking to him prior to the show. You know, he's really got that you know vision of, about what he wants to do, and I and I think that that um, takes a lot. You know, especially from where you've been, and you know, he's going to explain his journey from being, uh, as he coasts, as he says, being in the Ferrari, and then you know, changing gears <laughs> and having to you know change up his life a bit. But uh, without further ado, I want to bring on Dan Walsh. Dan, you're in the house.
0: Welcome, Dan. Chris Allen, thanks for having me on board today. Real excited to uh, be able to talk to you guys, get to know you better, and just kind of share my story, and hopefully people are motivated by the end of it.
2: I'm sure they will. You know, again, speaking of being at the top of your game, and, you know, tell us about that, Dan. You know, when you... Well, first of all, let's start at the beginning. You know, how did you get uh, involved in, in rowing as, as your sport? Um, I'm sure you do other things, and you do them really well, standing at six seven, and as lean <clears> as you are, I'm, pl- I'm sure you're a really good athlete, so I'm sure you can do a lot of things great, but how did you get into rowing, and then you know, take us through that journey uh, right up to the Olympics and uh, you know, what you're doing now and the vision of, of, of where you're going?
0: Definitely. So the interesting part, and I do when I do a lot of my motivational speaking or public speaking, especially to young kids, is that no Olympians started on the top of Mount Olympus. Everyone started at the base, and my base was a very awkward, shy, unathletic kid on a couch. Um, to the point, to the point, even where if you were to ask any of my siblings that I was going to be a world class athlete, they probably would have laughed in your face. Um, but what happened was I was the youngest by nine years to four kids and my family just hit a kind of rough patch where my brother was fighting a pretty bad drug and alcohol addiction and my father, who was a plumber, got laid off. And so neither one of my parents graduated high school, both were in the service industry, my dad contracting plumbing, my mom was a waitress, and we had an awesome, loving house. We all were really close. But those two events happening so in such close proximity to each other Along with the positive thing, which was my pediatrician started a youth rowing program in Norwalk, Connecticut. and He kind of took me under his wing and said, I'm going to make sure that you can afford to go to rowing practice while your family goes through this, and you better not mess up this opportunity. <laughs> and um, Good news is my brother is clean now. He's actually he's someone that you should have on the show as well in terms of overcoming stuff. He's now been COO, executive director started his own consulting business, sober for 24 years, um, and he kind of became my hero, which I can get into a little bit later. But that moment was, okay, here you go, Dan, get off the couch, go in to do something, stop being an introvert, and get out and see the world. And luckily, because I was a tall, lanky kid, I was able to adapt to rowing a little bit faster than the ball sports, and it gave me a quick boost of confidence, and from that little bit of confidence, it started to kind of grow into other fields and aspects of my life and also helped me kind of start to have focus and direction. And so that kid on the couch was the one who started his first step off the couch and onto the base of Mount Olympus.
1: Cool. Sweet, uh, sweet uh, intro there. Um, what's, uh, what's one of the biggest uh, lessons you learned along that aha moment, that journey of uh, going from you know, I'm understanding now, you know, what I want and I kind of have an idea and I'm no longer this, this gangly kid. What was the one thing that really made you want to
0: strive to be able to accomplish whatever goal you set? I think there were probably two really big driving factors. The first one was proving people wrong. (laughs) Um, Being unathletic, doing an obscure sport, uh, Kind of having people doubt my abilities was one thing. It was that kind of tenaciousness to say, no, I'm I'm gonna show you that I can achieve what I put my mind to. The other thing was, you know, I really believe that, you know, there's no such thing as fearless because in order to be brave, you have to overcome fear. And Mm -hmm. being such a shy kid. I wanted to be brave really bad, so I just started. Wanted, I just started to put myself in positions where I was scared, and I wanted to overcome it. And it's tough to really say why I started to have that mentality or switch. I, I truthfully can't tell you why. Um, my dad and my mom used to love joking around, saying, "Where'd this kid come from?" Because I was that <laughs> dry, awkward kid on the couch. <laughs> but at some point, I just wanted to be able to continue to do things that people thought I couldn't, and. Um, you know, rowing wasn't even my first love, wrestling was. And you can imagine being almost six feet tall and under 140 pounds. That wasn't necessarily my skill set at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> but that, I can tell you the exact moment I knew I wanted to be an Olympian. And that was in 1996. The uh, U.S. was hosting the games. And it's funny, this generation doesn't quite get it, but you had to sit on your couch and watch TV and hope that the sport you wanted to see came on. Yes. Or look, or look at the TV <laughs> guide. I can totally relate to that. Uh, no, no YouTube, <laughs> no Universal channel, no yeah. uh, um, no drones. You just kind of had a hope. And it was summertime, and me and my buddy were hanging out, and Olympics came on, and we're just kind of like, oh, cool, the Olympics. And next thing you know, rowing came on the TV. And my buddy kind of elbowed me and said, hey, isn't that what you do? Because, you know, one, rowing's never on TV. And B, like, here it is, like, right in front and somebody in this small town's doing it. And I go, no, that's what I'm going to do. And at that moment, I just was like, I want to be the best in the world at something with no real basis on why or how. And that's really the moment that changed my life was not so much the Olympics, but just the thought of trying to be the best in the world at something. And that's what I try and teach to everybody, from kids that I meet in kindergarten to adults that I do, um, you know, corporate engagements with. Is that if you can try and just think of being the best in the world in something, you are going to separate yourself.
1: Great words of wisdom. I mean, you work with uh, work with a lot of kids, obviously. And uh, I want to go back to something you said. You said proving people wrong, and. Uh, d- and I can see that being with a lot of adults and all you work with kids, are you finding that is a common theme with kids as well?
0: I think with kids, it's less about proving people wrong and more having it's more having the confidence to think differently than what we you know myself was used to back as a high school kid in the nineties um, so much of your life is on public display now via youtube instagram and they all try and mirror each other to base to what the trends are. And it's not that much different, but it's just so much more public and in everyone's face. And to me, it's giving them that sense of bravery. Like, yeah, it's scary to be different, or it's scary to have a dream so big that most people are intimidated intimidated by it themselves. And how to embrace that fear and turn yourself into being brave. That's that's what I see as more of the. It's less of proving people wrong, but more of trying to stand out versus being a carbon copy of each other is what I find kids are suffering from today they, oh, makes um, a
1: lot of sense.
0: yeah it's almost you know the two things that I think get you through life more than anything are resiliency and grit and mm-hmm. well know, said. both of them can be inherited and both of them can be learned and if you have to learn it that's the unfortunate part is that the only way to get gritty is to do gritty stuff <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and kids are a little bit intimidated by that these days
1: yeah, I mean, you're talking about, you know, the social media landscapes. Everything's immediate, and it's tough to sometimes um, have time to answer. And if things, you're right that they do take on a, a persona of uh, sameness, and uh, they, they paint this picture, and that picture may or may not be accurate. And that's the, the, you know, the pro and con with social media is that it'll take off and run with whatever, you know, the most exposure getting the biggest bang for the buck and uh, you know, the most posts and the most likes and the most tweets and, and you know the most sponsorships, if you will, if we go that direction. And I think that it's difficult, especially for kids, to be able to, you know, take something that, that they know to be true and then see it over here on social media, you know, change a little bit and then wanting to, you know, to make that difference and be able to change that and correct that. And I think that's difficult. Um I think the kids are probably more resilient at it than, than adults are. I think adults probably end up uh, closing their eyes to it and, and uh, you know, walk away from it because it's, it's easier to, to do that than it is to face it. And, uh, you know, I, I guess that's a, a lead-in to another question is, you're, you know, when you're working with, you know, the adults and you're speaking with a group of, you know, uh, uh, professionals, whoever they might be, CEOs or, or employees, whatever the case may be, what's the one thing that you encourage all of them to do that they may or may not be doing right
0: now? A very simple thing that I say to everybody, and that's embrace the suck. Which, <laughs> embrace the suck. <laughs> I love that. Which, which I, I have to say, it's something that I did. I never knew how to articulate it until one of the lucky things that I got to do as a national team athlete. When we trained in San Diego, we would sometimes go to the Naval Seal Base in Coronado and spend a day with them. And let them take us through a day at Bud's, which is as you can see on any of the TV shows, or if you talk to a Navy SEAL, it is intense. And they love the rowers so much, because rowing is just work, plain and simple. Um, There's no way around being good at that sport if you're not ready to endure. And the gentleman in charge just basically said, man, I like you guys. You're really dumb. You know how to embrace the suck. I was (laughs) like, all right, that makes sense. Because yeah, in in order to put yourself through constant physical and mental pain, you have to be kind of dumb. And in order to be able to smile when it's rainy and cold and your hands are frozen and your legs are burning, you got to kind of have to be able to smile and embrace it. And, uh, you know, the the way I give it to really young kids, it's like when that one aunt comes up to you and she has to pinch your cheeks and you know you're going to make your mom happy, so you let her pinch your cheeks. Mm-hmm. You just have to <laughs> elevate how much suckiness you're willing to embrace.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It I just want to go back. I just <laughs> want to go back for a moment because you said something uh, very interesting. Um, you know you had to become brave to overcome fear and in order to do so you had to put yourself out there Um, that is you know some wisdom if I haven't never heard it Um, quite frankly that's exactly what most people don't you know do Mm -hmm. when they're going after their dream is putting themselves out there and I just love that uh, you brought that up because it's so important And, and obviously that came from you know. Your game and what you did to go out there and work hard uh, to get a medal in the olympics, um, so kudos to that now dan you're uh, you loved wrestling I wish I wrestled you i was i five ten and uh, you would have been all legs for me, which uh, you know is, is a wrestler's dream right <laughs> exactly that, that was my
0: trap Chris that was my trap
2: <laughs> I got gotcha. I got it um listen i, I want to move on to uh, another question and um you know what Dan, you know, thinking back, uh, whether it was in your sport or your business, what was your largest failure? You know, why did it happen? And quite frankly, what, what did you do about it? Or how do you avoid repeating it?
0: I would say, you know, my biggest failure was probably the, tw- you know, the time between 2008 and 2012. Um, and it was after Beijing... You know, I I wanted to win really bad, with, and who doesn't? And we lost to Canada. You're allowed to cheer, Chris, if you want. Yay! Um, <laughs> in fact, one of the guys who was in that Canadian boat, Adam Creek, is doing a similar thing. As he, you know, has his own brand, is trying to spread the message of, you know, what Olympism really means, and it's less about the competition, but more about participating on a world scene, um, trying to be your best. And he and I were at an event this weekend, which we can get into at a later point, but that race was one point uh, three seconds between first, second and third it's amazing and there's so many wow. different factors that can create that and you know I tell Adam this all the time you know I, I think that you guys were were definitely the wants to be chosen to win that day, but there were so many things I saw that could be different and I had a very myopic view of training and pursuing my dream leading up to 2008. And then I fell in love and then I got ambitious and I wanted to start a business and I wanted to try and create an environment that was better for all athletes, just myself, um, moved to training center to California. We had a new coach. Uh, and I think my biggest failure is one, I got a little bit probably arrogant or cocky that I was going to be able to do the same amount of commitment without, um, without, having that myopic view right, without being willing to evolve either. And to kind of bring clarity to that is there's nothing wrong with wanting to be a small business owner. There's nothing wrong with trying to go for an Olympic gold again. There's nothing wrong with trying to, trying to start a family. But I wasn't willing to either surrender certain things. I just tried to do it all. And I wasn't willing to recognize that I was going to need more help for all that. So that's where I think my biggest failure came because at the end, when things got stressful, we had a very bad campaign. We weren't winning medals, we weren't going fast as a team. Um, We actually didn't qualify the men's eight for the Olympics originally uh, for the first time ever. And I was part of that team. So that right there is a huge failure to go from being on the podium to not even qualifying. And we had to move our training center to, for instance, San Francisco. And it was really disruptive. I left my, you know, my wife, my dog, my business, um, more of my teammates, and I was trying to put it on my own shoulders that, yep, I'm going to go to the eight because I didn't qualify it and I got to rectify the situation uh, versus just kind of letting myself be a cog in the machine. Um, and I don't, I'm not saying that to kind of say dump down my ambition but I was spreading myself too thin, and I wasn't recognizing what was really going to make me me happy. I was trying to do what, exactly what I thought was right based off the old version of myself. And that's where I think I failed, not only in, you know, I wound up leaving my personal training business behind and dissolving my shares because it was too much. I wound up getting so stressed out that I had developed three ulcers and a um condition called esophagitis where my esophagus would spasm and literally pull itself out of the, almost pull itself out of the stomach, um, losing weight and I wound up not making the team for the first time in 12 years, uh, three weeks before the boat was named. So that year was a big year of kind of failure and it was because I didn't want to accept that. I loved carry more than rowing now and it was a tough thing to realize because I was like, oh, I can't win an Olympic medal unless it's my main priority. Well, it's not your main priority. Well, then you're not going to win. Well, ha- well, then I'm going to make it my main priority. But then I still love carry. So it was this mm-hmm. weird feedback loop that was going sure. on in terms of priority. Uh, and I wasn't willing to kind of just take a risk and evolve and say, you know what, maybe I won't go to the 8th camp even though that's my wheelhouse and I'll just stay here in the Four camp and maybe I won't make it. But maybe I will, but I'll be happier. So kind of to a long-winded way of saying, I failed to recognize what I needed to be my best. And that led to other failures of my periphery of my life. Um, luckily, the thing that was most important, which was Carrie, was a thing that got stronger through that. So in a way, what were ancillary failures because of my decisions, the main important thing in my life wound up getting stronger, and Carrie and I got married, and now we have a beautiful baby, and we live in Boston. So it's tough. it's tough to look back and say, And I'm sure you guys feel the same way, like failure is your best way to learn, you know. It's...
2: For sure.
0: Mistakes are a way to make improvements. And so that's what I've been trying to do is from that failure of identifying what I need to be helpful or start happy, makes you a helpful contributor to your society. And then when you're a helpful contributor to society, then you're being productive as a human.
1: Sure. Makes total sense. And I want to hang on that a second. Based on what you
0: just said, what would you never do again? Um, I would never put myself into a situation where I felt like I had no support network. Say that again. I think that's worth repeating. I would never put myself in a position again where I felt like I had no support network.
1: Yeah, that's a big deal. Um, And I think a lot of the listeners out there have to understand that you don't have to go this thing alone, whatever the case may be. You've got to have family and friends, and you got to surround yourself with uh, people that uh, not only appreciate your mission, and your goal, but uh, have similar likes and challenges, and you can bolster each other and support each other. And that doesn't happen uh, so much in, in adulthood, you know, anymore. It happens a lot as we're kids, but it doesn't happen a lot as we're adults. So kudos for uh, for having the transparency and the gumption to to talk about that. So I think that's a a, a key piece. Chris, you're up.
2: Yeah. Well. You know, I just wanted to say the same thing, you know, Dan, now you're part of the Think Bold, Be Bold alumni. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, my friend, you have a, a ton of support around you for your mission and the things that you've had to learn. And, you know, I always like to remind people that, you know, failure and success are the same thing. And when you look at it that way, and I'll explain in a second, then you don't realize that, uh, well, you'll realize, you know, more importantly, to get to success, you've got to go through those failures. And, you know, a lot of times we don't want to uh, think or talk about the failure. Um, but it's so important to recognize that that is a part of shaping you to where you need to go, and when you can accept that, it no longer has a stranglehold on you, and you know the fear of having uh, you know a failure show up no longer has that um, uh, again power over you. In fact, when you can embrace the fact that you're going to bump into it. You know, you'll get really excited about the fact that again, you can get up in the morning and have, um, you know, have that go at it. So, uh, it, it, you know, it, thank you for sharing that. You know, your transparency, your uh, authentic self, because you know it is a part of life. And you know, listen, you accomplished some amazing things, my friend, and mm-hmm. that is who you are, and that's what you got to remember uh, every every single moment. And I and I appreciate everything you're you know going to do. So to you know. Talk Talking about what you're doing and let's get into myrmidon let's talk about myrmidon for a second because i I think that's really cool what you're up to with a few other uh you know really (coughs) extraordinary guys and you guys came up with a real cool concept or better yet you came into the concept Mm -hmm. um but tell us about that and 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 quite frankly where you're going with that um because i i just find it extraordinary in fact i'm gonna get alan to go do uh mount Kilimanjaro or
1: something like that. What do you think, Alan? <laughs> yeah, I'll be the one with the camera. <laughs> <laughs> and and the, a, yeah. and the helicopter. And the
0: helicopter, absolutely. I can fly a helicopter, no problem. Yeah, we need we need a videographer, so <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well Merminan I mean Merminin has really become a passion project. And so the to give you a little bit of background and my just interests in I guess let's first talk about the company. So Merminan and our our in working elevator pitch is Mervin is elite athletes, elite veterans, and you forging personal growth through the outdoors and teamwork. And very cool. um, It was started by myself, uh, two brothers who are uh, marine officers and a Navy SEAL officer. And essentially, two of the guys, Dustin and Chris, were in left the military, took on corporate jobs and started to feel this lull of normalcy. And it's the same kind of reaction that uh, Olympians have where you function at this high level with this high group of achieving people that are so mission-oriented in the sense that, we're gonna be able to do this, we're gonna do it no matter what, we'll put our bodies and minds through anything, and we're gonna rely on each other to get through to it. And then you leave that group very abruptly And go into this world where there's a lot of people who just can't comprehend what either you achieved or how you thought. And it creates this vulnerability of you don't feel what you did was special anymore, which is the hardest thing to go through. And we just, and so Charles and Chris realized that when they went on hikes together and did these expeditions, they felt better. So, how do they bring more veterans into that? And so, Part of their campaign to bring uh, notoriety to the brand is they did this event in Boston called the Red Bull High Stakes Challenge, which is Red Bull's way of kind of changing the sport of rowing versus just being the Olympic distance. It's kind of a cool relay race with different boat classes. And Charles's brother, or sorry, Chris's brother, Charles, who also is a Marine, um, rode at Brown, and we were competitors in college together and became friends, called me up. I was working for Boston 2024 and said, "Hey, do you want to race with Mermidon at the Red Bull race and become um, and help me find other Olympians to work with, you know, special forces guys?" I said, "Yes, absolutely. I'm working on the same project. Let's combine our things because Boston 2024 mm-hmm. does need a strong military component to it to show that we support our vets." And as we've talked about, Chris, Boston 2024 fell apart, and that's a whole another fun story. Um, but that kind of opened up the door to do more focus on Myrmidon. So we took two entries and not only got elite vets and elite Olympians together, but we also, um, you know, we created a the only boat that had adaptive athletes in it, too. So veterans and Paralympians who have been injured or amputeed or had a birth defect that are now trying to row. And we put them right in the boats with the Olympians and, and the elite soldiers and oh, uh, awesome. sailors. And we still made the semifinal. That's um, incredible. And just threw it together, and a lot of people said it was one of the coolest moments of their life. So we realized what Merman had the ability to do was not only bring these kind of top performers together to kind of fill up their badass offer, but also create access to that group by letting other people, you know, join a you know, Merman event or join a Merman team when we do something like that, and then get them on the path to becoming Merman themselves. And the unique thing about Merman is. One of our values is mission over self, um, meaning that it's more important for the team to succeed than the individual and Achilles who was Myrmidon, was Achilles' personal troops who he would let go into battle with or without him because he believed in their abilities so much. And kind of that's a sign of a true leader as a true leader enables greatness. So. You know a leader relies on the ability of his team versus the ability of himself and that's and that's really what Merman is about and so since then um, We've now gone from Dustin and Chris have asked Charles and I to become co-founders And we're trying to perfect a way of allowing people to go on their own Mermanent path so one of those will be milestone weekends where you come out to a location and We get you ready to see if you can handle a Mermanent expedition and as you pass through the milestones The milestones obviously get more difficult. Um, And then eventually, we would want to take somebody on a sea to summit to sea expedition where you're working with, you know, you're going on there with an elite athlete, an elite veteran, or multiple ones. And you're, you know, average Joe that went on the path to become Mermanin. And through your milestones, have been able to go to the thing where, yeah, I'm going to do a 600 mile bike ride slash mountain climb with these dudes that used to do it for real. And so we're helping people become gritty and resilient, kind of going back to where we started, and also helping these elite, you know, performers refill their badass coffers so they don't feel that well.
2: I love it. it it's fulfilling a, a few things. So, um, how long would it take, you know, for someone to be involved in sort of getting ready for that type of uh, event in their life? Let's call it um, from the time they go and you know, start training, I guess, I guess you would call it uh, to actually going on, you know, this large expedition, what would that time frame look like?
0: So it's tough to put a timeline on it because each person's personal growth is different. Okay. And you have the ability to do it as a team. Uh, so you can bring in a group of people that you're already friendly with, or you work with and do it that way. Or you can just do What is kind of more realistic in the real world is you just show up and you start to personally grow with a brand new team and you figure out how to function with other people. So I would say based off of whether it's physical level, you know, there's kind of three pillars that we work with. It's the physical, mental, and emotional. Mm -hmm. And some people are stronger than others in different parts of it. So a lot of people ask like, oh, wait, so great. I have to go with an Olympian and run up this mountain and follow with them. And, you know, the Olympian might have the physicality to do that, but if they're constantly trying to get ahead of the group and blame the group for going slow, they're not really doing the emotional part of being the leader. Mm -hmm. Mm Gotcha. So they could, in fact, you know, fail the milestone weekend by not being a good team player. Um, Whereas somebody who doesn't have the fitness right away uh, is really good at making sure that, um, you know, for example, what happens if suddenly in the middle of the night one of the tent poles goes missing? um, How do you deal with that? emotionally as a team when you're already exhausted um, somebody might be a little bit calmer and cooler and be able to solve that problem as a teammate so everyone has their skills and everyone has their things to contribute to a team I've obviously would like all three pillars to be as high as possible so it's really tough to gauge you know how long it would take somebody someone's willing to doesn't have the physical but they're willing to do training in between milestones and get themselves up and ready I think anywhere from a year to a year and a half from absolute zero to being on top of one of the summits of a sea to summit to sea could be could be feasible. Um, but the reason why we do it this way is that personal growth does not happen overnight. Right. In fact, it doesn't even happen over a weekend. It is a long process that constantly happens and it takes commitment from both you and your support group. And so that's why Mermidon basically says once you go on this path, it's up to you how far, you know, how quickly you want to achieve your summit. Um, and so I guess that's, it's, it's too ambiguous or too nebulous to say because each individual is different. Sure.
2: sure. It makes a lot sure. of sense. Yeah. So that's what I'm writing on my, I actually wrote it down already. Um, you know, I don't have too far away to you know hit my 50th birthday. So I'm going to put it out there that, uh, I'm going to uh, go on this, uh, expedition and yeah, you just opened up a, a whole whack of thought for me, my friend, a whack of thought. So that why, that's why, you know, it a personal question as well, you know, to get ready for that type of thing, um, you know, what is it going to take? And, and, and I love your answer because it will be dependent on, on where you are, uh, you know, and, and, and how fast um, I could get, you know, to that level. So I appreciate that. Um, Alan, take us away on, uh, you know, another question here. This is, yeah. this is awesome stuff.
1: Dan, I, you're fantastic. I love listening to you and the uh, your journey. But I want to switch things up a little bit. I want to talk about the economics of what you're doing. And what I mean by that is is make that uh, or bridge that concept for us on how you're teaching Your clients to grow from A to Z. How is that applying to your business model? Or is your does your business model follow that same concept? Um, And and if it does, why does it? And if not, what are you doing differently so that you can create um, the uh, the uh, Merbodon
0: program that you have for all your clients? Well, that's that's the fun part. Is that is. Because of who we are, based off what we've been able to do thus far, and as we want this to merman to not only be a chance for our clients to evolve, but also us, um, the business part is what we're working with right now. And the assessment weekend, everything would be pay to play for the most part. Unless, um, right. and, and we're trying to figure out ways that you can even, if you wanted to start the and Path, are there ways that you can do a Kickstarter or Indiegogo and kind of crowdsource for yourself to be part of it? Because it is going to be expensive, not only because of where we're going to take you. Um, like the Sea to Summit, to seas are definitely once-in-a-lifetime opportunities for some people. Right. Mm-hmm. We'll never get a chance mm-hmm. to do it again. It is, you know, like I said, it's hundreds of miles by foot. Part of the reason why we chose cycling and mountaineering is because we really feel that anybody can adapt to be able to do those. If you are, you know, if you are an amputee, um, they are now showing through prosthetics and stuff like that between the wheelchair bikes and then the right prosthetics, you can be able to hike a mountain. Um, it's the technical stuff would be probably you might need an ice and some crampons to be able to lean forward into some packed snow, depending mm-hmm. on what time of year it is. But nothing is really super technical where you have to develop a whole skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we do some stuff that you know ad hoc for certain clients. You know, Chris and Dustin are continually to become more and more experts in outdoor fields. But the mountaineering parts, you know, the mountaineering is something that as long as you can carry a backpack and what you need in that backpack, you should be able to achieve that. A lot of it's going to come mm-hmm. to the mental toughness. Um, so the milestone weekends are going to be the more affordable part of it. And then the Sea to Summit to Sea would actually be the bang for your buck. And what we're trying to do right now is our Normandy trip, which is coming up in May, is going to be our first kind of, you know, to use it as a business sense, that's our first marketing campaign. Um, And instead of doing YouTube ads and, you know, spending the money on flyers and advertising a PR firm, what Dustin and Chris are doing are taking allied vets from World War II, um, so, people that have represented their countries of the allied you know the allied countries they 're going to infill on Normandy, bike from Normandy to Mont Blanc, summit Mont Blanc, and then bike to Merseys. and <laughs> reflect, reflect wow. on, and reflect on you know what it was like for those who went before them to fight that epic battle to really change the landscape of our world and that is where we want people to be able to share that. Obviously, there'll be a lot of social media that comes through that Facebook, Instagram, on our website. You know, I'll be home, kind of managing things on the on the front because we're pretty sure that once people start seeing what a human is capable of, they're going to ha- want interest, and that's where we're going to start trying to figure out how many. You know, what, what's the traction like for the assessment weekend? Um, you know, the assessment milestone weekends how many do we need to do, how much interest is it, you know, where are people's abilities to do Kilimanjaro, to do Mount Blanc again one day, maybe Elbrus in Russia. So that's, that's kind of the part where we're developing exactly where's the interest, who wants to do it, um, who, wants to, you know, who can afford it out the box, and how can we create ways of people to fund their own personal growth. Right. Um, so it's really the fun part of building a business is you have your mission, you know it's going to help people, how do you monetize it so you can continue to spread your you know, spread mm-hmm. your work? And part of our goal is eventually the four of us are gonna be able to handle so much, especially the expedition side of things. You know, Carrie Carrie and our little six month old, almost seventh month old stella, don't really want daddy on mountaintops three hundred and twenty <laughs> <of day>. uh, <laughs> No, I pro- imagine not. <laughs> which, is, which is probably why they uh, they made me the CIO. They know that I'm at least somewhat grounded. But Transition is a huge thing for elite athletes and navy and um, you know elite elite soldiers. It's you come down and people don't recognize the value of you because your resume is untraditional. For you sure. don't have the five years experience in X or the you know master's degree in Y, but you have all these leadership skills that are inherent and taught to you in probably some of the best arenas to be a leader or a team player. And you just get overlooked for someone who just decided to go, and again, nothing wrong with it, but in normal life and move up the ranks day to day, kind of going through the gray of life. And we're hoping that through Mermanent, as we expand and we build our cadre, you may have an Army Ranger taking a CEO of a Fortune 500 company through this personal growth process, and the CEO will say, well, I just listened to you for two weeks, and I'm pretty sure my subordinates will listen to you and benefit from you. How would you like a job? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or Merman is just so successful that they're like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm going to keep Condon out. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, let's hope it's the latter. And, um, for, for a good reason that it, it sounds like a great passion. You know, I like what you said about, you know, uh, the gray of life. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of transferable skills from, you know, anything that you can go out there and lead yourself and, and get really great at, Um, And it sounds like that uh, you're putting together something that's going to demonstrate, you know, to to a lot of people that they have that resilience and grit to use your words uh, and see how much they have inside, because it's going to take a great deal to be able to go through uh, that journey. So I'm going to have to start gearing up for my uh, my track. Um, but believe me you got my interest and it sounds like a great documentary to tell you the truth.
1: I was it gonna sounds, say this totally movie yeah, worthy. The, the, absolutely the, from the, A to Z.
2: Absolutely and it, and it sounds like that that's a great way to uh, you know document and, and get it out there. Um, so we should circle back on that. Got Lots of contacts for yeah, you. Let's in do that, that behind arena. the scenes here, yes, guys. For sure. Um, you know, how, uh, you know, changing and, and, and being a top athlete and, and going to the Olympics and doing what you really love, um, you know, there are obviously changes that have happened in your life, Dan. How do you deal with that?
0: Uh, a lot of it, I think, is starting off with that first lesson that I started teaching myself is when things get scary, you got to step into them. Um, otherwise, they'll own you. And so, you know, per, from a personal life, like that, you know, again, the you have your dream and you pursue your dream, and that's great. But sometimes the real world wants to create a nightmare situation. And you know, Carrie and I faced one of those pretty big. We um, so Boston, you know, the Olympics, Rio's coming up, and with that comes the hype of trying to get the next future cities to take on the Olympics. And so. Boston, the city of Boston, put together a campaign for hosting the Olympics in Boston 2024, and I started off with that campaign as a grassroots effort, and then in January of 2015, uh, the USOC said, hey, Boston, we pick you, so go ahead and host this, and they, Boston 2024 then said, hey, Dan, we want you to be our director of athlete engagement and sports legacy, which was really an ideal dream job for me. As a from my skill set, my interests, my passion, um, lo- the Olympic message, I think, is just for what it did for me personally to what it means to bring the world to a stop in a moment of peace and enjoy, you know, a Galderian uh, brother and sisterhood of just watching our world's best athletes compete and have these emotional moments. It's just, you know, obviously, there's other political issues on the ends of it but the ideal of the Olympics is still such a beautiful thing. It's the only thing that really does bring the world together in so many ways. And to be part of that was going to be awesome, kind of well-rounded both as an athlete and then trying to bring that to the next generation. And because of that, and because there's such a political tie to that event, um, Boston wound up losing that bit in August. And with that, they were giving me a big boy salary, um, you know, the I don't mind sharing it with you because it was all in the Boston Globe. <laughs> it was, you know, was, uh, everyone's salaries had to be posted out there. It was $95,000 a year with full benefits, so, you know, a six-figure package. Mm-hmm. And from someone who used to live on less than $1,000 a month as an athlete um, mm-hmm. to, you know, being a coach, which paid well, but not that well. Uh, and with intense upward mobility, because being part of an Olympic bid, you get, um you're basically taking a grassroots idea and building it to a Fortune 100 company, and then breaking it down in nine years. Right. You know, so it's be- it's the best MBA you can ever have. And Carrie and I were really excited about that prospect. It was a chance for me to kind of go into this corporate setting with being mission driven, which is a, what I always wanted to do, and testing my you know testing my skills in that arena. And so with that, Carrie was pregnant, resigned from her job because she was like, "All right, cool, I can be a stay at home mom. We can afford it." And things were looking great. In fact, the weekend it all fell apart was the weekend of Carrie's baby shower. We just had all of our family there telling them how cool and happy we were and this new step. And on Monday morning, there was a press release from the mayor of Boston saying he was not going to sign the city agreement to host the Olympics, and the USOC is pulling out. Mm. And I showed up in Boston that later that afternoon to basically a, a conversation where our CEO, Rich Davy brought everyone in and said, "Well, that's it." And uh, so here I was with a baby that was due in two weeks, um, no severance, no you know no jobs lined up, and a wife that just resigned from her job. And you kind of have to think in that moment of, do I let it crumble, or do I let it break us, or do I step in? And I'll tell you who stepped in is Carrie. At 37 weeks pregnant, went to her work, rescinded her resignation, and then said, "I'm going to go for the director of marketing job," and got the promotion. Wow! So she wow, is the awesome. re- she is the real badass.
2: <laughs> 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 yes, shout oh. out to Carrie for that. <laughs> well absolutely. done, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, but that that just goes to show that you guys are a team, and right, you know, you, you you know that that's a good sign of a good marriage. Um, so kudos to you guys for for sticking it out and sticking it together. So that's great.
0: But yeah, and and so I just started, I started, you know, using what network I could, you know, took the the hit on the chin, signed up for unemployment, um, went through all those things, went through the Mass Health Connector to make sure that Stella, you know, when she was born and I were covered with the health insurance, um, started leaning on the savings and, and, uh, you know, reached out to people for help where I needed it. Luckily, a lot of, I've been, Lucky enough in my life to make good friends and they all kind of stepped up where I had to. And again, with the networking and stepping in and not trying to be a victim, but just mm-hmm. tell me here's the situation, here's what I'm going through, this is how I'm solving it. People generally don't go, Oh, I'm so sorry. They go, Okay, well how can I help? Yes. They see that you're standing firm on two feet and you know the it may be rough seas, but you have your hand firmly on the tiller. And I actually Met Nastia Lukin at a Liberty Mutual event. Um, Liberty Mutual was, uh, you know, does the Road to Rio tour, and they asked me to be one of the athletes to speak on that tour at certain occasions, and I was there for the launch of it um, one year out from Rio. And Nastia's fiance started a uh, software company here in Boston, and um, it was just a really good fit. So that Olympic family kind of came through and through the athlete side. I met Matt. We got along. They wanted to break in the rowing. I was happen to be a rower, and uh, <laughs> it was. I went from being unemployed to employed in a startup in less than a month.
2: That's um, fantastic.
0: And most people just say like, "Wow, that never happens." And it's one of those things like, "Well, because people give up, right?" Yeah. And you just have to keep it out there. And you know, sure was it hard? Hell yeah. yeah. Trying, maybe what you know. Carrie, here's another funny part of it to show you Carrie's badassness. We were in the hospital for seven days. Carrie. Stella, she went to labor on Friday. Stella didn't come out till Monday. Um, wow. <laughs> she's she's just that tough. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that is that, that that's a crazy story all in itself, and I'm sure yep. we could spend a whole show on it.
0: But wow. that's but that's you know that's what it means to be resilient. Was I scared? Hell yeah. Um, was I nervous? Definitely. Um, did it, would it have been easier to just kind of like curl up and cry and hope somebody would come and take care of me? Um, definitely. I mean the worst. I'd say the worst part through this whole thing is that we also lost my mom in February of uh, this year. So it's like there's that person who's there as your support structure through all your life, and I didn't even have that person to call and just whine to. And again, it's scary, but if you lean into it, it's kind of like how far can you run into the woods halfway? So if Mm -hmm. fear's coming at you and you lean into it, you've already stopped its approach on you. Right. Mm -hmm. And then if you can step into fear you're only taking up more ground against your fear. And that's really important, like it's always going to be there. There's always going to be shadows, there's always going to be dark, but at some point, you just have to lean into it. You are an inspiration,
2: my friend, and uh, I think a lot of people can learn from uh, your experience and, you know, we're going to do what we can to uh, support everything and, you know, shout out to your mom. I'm sorry to hear that and uh, I'm sure that that is a a really hard time, uh, you know, in in lives. I haven't gone through that, so not knowing, um, I can can feel for you and uh, certainly um, she's here with us you know, either way.
0: Well, um, well, thank you. And and it just so happens that we decided to do this on our birthday. By, oh. uh, by, <laughs> no, by no I wow. think it's just coincidence. I didn't even know when we uh, we decided to do this, but wow. it's her way of making sure that I'm being tough. Like, well, there, you go. there people, you go. She's always, she was the, she was the, she's the epitome of a strong, of a strong woman. And um, so thank you for giving me to just kind of give a shout out to her. Yeah, or absolutely. Right I, got, next, yeah.
2: I I got some chills uh, go through me so there's mm-hmm. no doubt that uh she's here with us. So I really appreciate that and you know, kudos to mom, big shout out. Uh, mm-hmm. You got a great son here and he's doing what he's uh he's got to do um to to follow his dream and uh we certainly appreciate it. Now, we get into a a little bit um moving on here uh, dan to what we call rapid bold insight and We're just going to ask you a few questions, bang them off uh, as as we go. If you want to expand on uh, the last one, uh, that is totally cool um, because you may have to, to just tell us why. And uh, Alan's going to ask you the final question. I mean, we'd love to talk all day, but believe it or not, we've already gone through so much time. And before we do this, uh, the Rapid Bold Insight, can you tell us, will you come back this year?
0: Of course. Awesome. awesome. Yeah. I mean, come on. You're, talk, you're talking to an Olympian and asking him to talk about himself. <laughs> as humble as you try and be, there's that ego that likes to be fed. All
2: right. Well, that that is a direct invite uh, from Alan and I to come back this year. We'd love to follow up on what you're working on and uh, where you're going. Uh, but let's get into it. Tell us, uh, Dan, how do you relax? What's your downtime?
0: I sleep. Sleep. <laughs> <He laughs>
2: sleep. That's awesome. Okay. What's your favorite book?
0: Uh, my favorite book has to be The Hobbit, and um, you know obviously that ties in the Lord of the Rings. But just to tell you why, again, unassuming person that had to step into fear to wind up who to be his best self. Um, you know, and it's through a fantasy of sword fighting, magic, and all that stuff. So the kid in me can never give up, like give up on the fact that there's magic out there. But that's really you know unassuming little guy goes and ends up being the best, toughest warrior of the group. And I love it. I love so, it. The and Hobbit. And my dad used to read it to me, so it's a good, happy image of my dad kind of reading me this story and giving me good dreams of being a hero one day. Awesome.
2: Well, you're, certainly a, you're certainly a hero. Uh, what's your favorite exercise?
0: It's got to be the power clean. Really? Yeah. It's just to, to be able to feel yourself lift that weight up from the ground and put it up you know, basically eye level. Um, just such a sense of strength and acceleration and power. I love it. And it's it helps with every single sport out there. Um, it helps with everyone who's. It's just such a natural athletic movement, and I love it.
2: I like I like that, and and I certainly like that exercise as well. Uh, what's your favorite quote?
0: Um, my favorite quote is by the pacifist Mahatma Gandhi, and it's because most people think it wouldn't be from him. And it's, there will have to be rigid and iron discipline before we achieve anything great and enduring. And that discipline will not come by mere academic argument and appeal to reason and logic. Discipline is learnt in the school of adversity.
2: Ha, huh. love it. Sweet. I love that. Most influential person right now on, you know, you, your life, business.
0: And- I, would have to, I would have to say it's my uh, buddies at Merminim. Um, because we're a bunch of guys that know it's know it's powerful. We're going through personal struggles to figure out how to make it happen. Um, and we're kind of there for each other to be like this is going to be good. We got to go through this. We got to make sure it works. And you know, again, you have an Olympic medalist, two marine officers and a Navy SEAL where it's almost that we know we can achieve anything, but experience that vulnerability with each other is also the coolest part because it's, it's the idea that you have to continue to evolve and even coming out of these elite skill sets you know life is still hard no matter how skilled you are at it so we're just trying to help each other lean in
1: Hey, thanks, Dan, for being so uh, transparent and uh, so honest about your life and your journey. And uh, that's a huge attractant to uh, a lot of people, especially to your audience. And uh, it, it's great, uh, great character building. So thank you for sharing that. But uh, yeah, the rapid, bold Insight, uh, we're, we appreciate the, uh, the, the quickness of your answers. And then unfortunately, we're winding down here to the last part of the show. But we want to, we always try to end the show with, uh, you know, uh, one bold move, and what we like to say with that is, you know, given all the things that you've talked about today, and this may just be a reiter- reiteration of something you already
0: mentioned, but what one bold move would you like to leave our audience with? Try and be gritty and embrace the suck where you can. And just like with training, you know, I call it the hit method. You have to have habit, and then you can focus on improvement, and then you can focus on performance. If climbing Mount Kilimanjaro scares you, start by finding a hill and climbing that hill every day. And then eventually find a bigger hill, and then you can worry about doing Keeley. But you got to embrace the suck, and you got to lean in, and you got to figure out how to be resilient. And as Muhammad Dandi said, it's not going to happen by logic or reason.
1: There you go. Embrace the suck, everybody. I love that. I think and that's
2: lean, awesome. And and lean in. I just lean in. yeah. I, I I love that. And um, Dan, you're an inspiration. You ser- certainly are. And you know, congratulations on everything that you're going through. And because I know it's going to just you know heighten your uh, your new um, adventures and and bring you to where you want to go um you know for your family and and the fact that uh, you're very focused on on them and 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 what you want you know in their for their lives as well and uh, really appreciate that kudos to your wife uh, for putting up with you <laughs> and uh you know uh you know just give uh give your little girl uh, you know a, a big hug uh, this evening uh because uh, you certainly are uh, someone that she's going to definitely be proud of um, as she gets to know who mm-hmm. her dad is, uh, you know, growing up. So keep going after your uh, your dream there, my friend. You're going to be part of our alumni. You've got a whole whack of friends now that uh, you haven't had uh, a, an opportunity to meet yet, but you certainly will soon, and, and you're just going to love these people. Um, Alan, take us away. Uh, Dan, just uh, before we do that, thank you so much for being on the show today, and we're going to have you back uh, sometime this year for sure.
0: My pleasure, guys. It was great to meet you and be part of the show, and I look forward to building a relationship. Absolutely. Dan,
1: you're fantastic. thanks for your uh, for sharing your passion and uh, your honesty. And uh, you know I admire you. I admire your journey. Uh, admire your uh, you know the the lessons in life that you shared. And uh, we really appreciate you being on this show. Uh, we hope you you come back and we can't wait for that. And anything we can do, like Chris said, to help you out, we will surely do. Welcome to the family. And uh, Chris, as usual, it's uh, great uh, and an honor to be on this show with you. And with that said, why don't you round us out? Before I do so,
2: and I will thank you, but right back at you, Alan, on uh, all of that. Uh, Dan, tell us how people can get a hold of you.
0: Uh, The easiest way would be to go to MermanenExpeditions.com, and you can see all of our contact information on there, whether it's myself or dustin chris or charles and that's where you know our we're easiest to be found um plus it makes you go to our website and kind of see all the scenic stuff that the myrmidons are up to
2: excellent thank you so much and we'll be posting that as well thank you to the audience thank you for coming and listening to dan's journey and where he's going where where he's done and uh again thank you alan and dan for uh making it a great show and it wouldn't be a show without me saying do something nice for someone today